We're back, folks. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Lots of Panthers talk today. We had John McCain on to talk about Bobby Slowick and that great candidate he is with the Houston Texans. 704-570-9610 is the text line. Hit those follow buttons on the social medias. WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram at West Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter and Instagram at Walker Mail at Shroppy WFNZ, correct? Ding, ding. Yes. And most importantly, at Wesson Walker uh, on Twitter as well. We got a lot of college basketball to get to, a lot of big time performances from last night. So without further ado, it's time for the campus counter. All right. Walker Mail. The 49ers are showing that they are for real. Luke I. Patterson, career high, 23 points. Deshaun Jackson had 21 points. Charlotte took out UAB, 76-70. to They were down 32-12 to with 6.38 to go in the first half. Charlotte shot 63.6% in the second half. They outscored the Blazers 48-32. to And Deshaun Jackson, the center for the Niners, not the wide receiver formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles and other teams, said the gold mine never doubted us. Walker, do you have the gold fever right now. I feel like you should just walk in here. Gold rush. Your whole body painted in gold, man. I'm already glistening from how many 20-point <laughs> comebacks they've had over this past week and how many wins they have, starting off with the FAU victory. Yeah, they were down 35-15 to 15 after they hit a three-pointer with just under six minutes left to go. Patterson makes the layup, and then they start chipping away, chipping away. They get to halftime down 10, and then they end up winning by six points, scoring 48 in the second half, as you mentioned. Shot yeah. the lights out in the second half. This team's for real. I love Deshaun Jackson. I think that guy is so much fun to see a drop step and then dunk on your head. Love what Deshaun Jackson can do for this team. But Patterson has been real celebrated. He gets to the foul line a lot in this game alongside Jackson, by the way. They both shoot 18 free throws combined. Yeah, seven big free throws in the second half. And they hit 14 of them. Uh, this, look, I think Aaron Fern, when he took over, you talk about underwhelming, right? Yes. It was a tough situation when Ron Sanchez decided that he was going to go back to Virginia. And I even understood it. You knew that if you weren't going to win this year, you were about to get the pickaxe, okay? (laughs) And so with that, you might as well go back to Virginia while there's an opening to go to the Cavaliers roster that you once coached before and had so much success alongside Tony Bennett, and he gets out of Dodge. It was a tough situation for Mike Hill and company, but I get it. Aaron Fern thrust into the starting job. I don't know if he's the head coach here, Wes, if this happens earlier than when Sanchez did decide to leave. Mm -hmm. But it does, and the tactician that he's considered to be really smart, X's and O's, savvy, making adjustments which is nice to be able to make on the fly. Hitting shots matters too. Of course it does. But these guys are playing hard for them. And I know from talking to people in Charlotte how much those players love Aaron Fern. It's not like sourcing matters here. You can just hear what they say about Coach Fern. But man, man, they love him. I'm starting to love him now too. And the fact that Charlotte basketball is back in a significant way. They're 6-1 in conference, Wes. Like they're here. They're at the top of the standings. And they continue to show up for big games. I love it. I, I can't wait. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make it out there. Knock on wood. 
I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going to be able to make it out there for Saturday, February 3rd, when they take on ECU. I'm excited for that one. Maybe you'll join me here and we can pull yes. on for the uh, 49 I want to get out there. The Wesson Walker show needs to be out there at a Charlotte 49ers game. I want them to celebrate my dog and for us to just wild out and just live and the nostalgia. Now, if and they the lose, now. though, I'm going to feel bad. But right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but preseason, they were picked to finish 13th out of 14 teams in the AAC. They've improved the 9-1 and at Halton Arena, man. So that place is starting to become a house of horrors for people and, once and, again. And one more mention, AC brings up a good point. And this is part of the reason they go with Fern, too, right? Because it's so late into the process. AC writes in on the text line, the players were supportive of Coach Fern before the hire and did not transfer because of it students are showing up and halton is rocking again which you can start to hear oh, him a little bit and so that that's a good point it, it's it's almost like you don't want to lose as many players too so you promote aaron fern and it's not like it's always the best decision to go with what the college players want and you still have to make what you think is the best decision but for the program era, but it is yeah but but it, into it. and it clearly was yeah. everybody was right so kudos to this team man well, they went mining for gold and they found a nugget Okay. Big old gold nugget. <laughs> All right. The Duke Blue Devils got back on track after losing to Pitt, after getting the building kicked down on them like Snoop Dogg and the Dog Pound in the uh-huh. New York, New York video. That's what Pitt did when they jumped up on the scores table and celebrated. They held Louisville to 69 points. They grabbed a season-high 15 offensive rebounds, had a 21-11 to 11 advantage in second-chance points. Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell returned to the lineup. Tyrese Pry- to played like I said yesterday, he needs to play for Duke to be a serious contender. 24 points, four assists. He scored double figures in each of Duke's last three games, and he's averaging over 17 points per contest. That's exactly what they need. He's got two career 20 point games, both of them have come this season. Mitchell got a 2010 double double, his second across his last three games. He shot eight of 11 from the field and flip had 17 points. Grab 15 boards. He's got seven double-doubles this season to make his 23rd career at Duke. And so now when we look at this team and they come out and handle Louisville 83-69, to 69, do we still feel like at full strength the Duke Blue Devils are still a step behind the North Carolina Tar Heels? And I'm just talking about when they are fully healthy. Yeah, I think so. I I still think there's some figuring out that Duke is trying to do right now. The injuries haven't helped that. Tyrese Proctor has been banged up. I I wondered just how much that's contributed to some of the struggles for him this season. And so it feels like North Carolina does have it figured out. The the only thing I would say that they need to continue to experiment with is Armando Baycott being offensively more involved. Like, does it matter? Do you just not mess with it because you're going crazy this season and you are so good within ACC play or even before you get to conference play? Armando's changing his game a little bit, Wes. Like, Harrison Ingram is in there now. It's not just, okay, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, they're going to shoot. I'll grab the offensive rebound and either get a post feed and that's how I'm going to get my points. Now you're just not really getting that many points like you were the last couple of years. And so it's actually led to people evaluating how good he's been. That would be the only thing I I think maybe they continue to figure out as long as Baycott is okay with that, then they're good. But everything else, it just, it fits like a glove, man. Everything is so smooth watching North Carolina. And I don't get that feeling with Duke, especially when you have to play some of the tougher competition and they're not blowing anybody out like that. I mean, even Louisville, Jeremy Roach goes out. What's the bigger story to you? 
is it Proctor finally giving you that kind of game, or is it Jeremy Roach continuing to be banged up, and when he's out, you start to see their stability go away? Yeah, I mean, he provides that leadership of upperclassmen would, but I think Proctor for sure, man, this is the guy that's looked at as an NBA lottery pick. This is the guy that's looked at as a difference maker, and I think he came out and played like that last night, especially in that second half, uh, hitting a lot of key shots for Duke. He had 13 second-half points, went 3 of 6 from 3, 5 of 9 from the field. And I think when Proctor is rolling, I think that this Duke Blue Devils team is a different team. So if you put your ear to the ground last night, you could feel it shaking underneath you. What was that sound, Wes Bryant? That was the South Carolina Gamecocks taking out Kentucky, 79-62. to Talon Cooper had 20 points in the game. South Carolina pulled away in the second half. They beat their highest-ranked opponent at home since beating number one Kentucky 14 years ago. That Kentucky team featured John Wall and Boogie Cousins, okay? They held the nation's top-scoring team that averaged more than 91 points a game to its lowest output of the season. It's the third straight loss at South Carolina for Kentucky and fourth in their the fourth in their last seven meetings in the series. So shout out and salute to South Carolina. I was watching that game last night along with my little quad box on YouTube TV. And uh, this game just, it wasn't close. I mean, they had a 33-25 advantage at halftime. And South Carolina just never looked back, man. That that was a big win for them. Well, and, and I heard John Calipari say that they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. And you see how many points Kentucky scores on average. They're second in all of college basketball, scoring 89.9 points per game in the 18 that they've played. And here's South Carolina holding them to just 62. It, even if South Carolina is getting celebrated defensively, Wes, they put up 79 on Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And so that's what was also in part of the beatdown. It's not only that they held Kentucky to only 62. It's the fact that their offense got going as well. South Carolina, this is the thing that puts them on real watch. Now it's for real. And I'm excited. I like when the Gamecocks are good at basketball. It is fun. And I'm hoping they continue to ride this thing out after this win against Kentucky to continue on in the NCAA tournament. And then we'll see how deep they can make that. Yeah, man, you can't get a win like this and then just follow it up and and not make good on it. Once we see what you're capable of, you need to keep this thing up because they dominated Kentucky. But when we come back on the Wessel Walker show with Shroppy on the boards, we're going to grade Carolina's draft class individually and as a whole based on their potential and what they did this season. This is Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are immersed in the Western Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ going to the text line quickly. 704-570-9610 is the number to text if you've got something to say. A six four number out of South Carolina said, who had Charlotte basketball being the most successful sport in Charlotte this season? I mean, 
I don't think Panther fans would trade off the 49ers being good for 49ers. Oh, no, no. But it's a lot of fun to have uh, the 49ers rocking and rolling. Do you think that they will be a tournament team at the end of the day? It's all about winning the conference championship tournament because seven losses, it's going to be too much. They're going to have to overcome. um, And there's a lot of season left, too. There's a lot of season left. And so I I guess if they just didn't lose again, Mm Mm-hmm. Then maybe you could be considered for an at-large bid. But I heard Mac reference this too, as far as the teams moving up in the net. South Carolina they move up to 48 in the net after that win against Kentucky. It's a big deal, right? Charlotte, after their win against UAB, coming back from 20 points down, I think they went from 102 to 101. Mm-hmm. So despite having six straight wins, big time wins, starting against a ranked opponent you're not even breaking the double digits as far as where you're ranked. And so it's going to be really tough to be a tournament team. It all is going to come down to whether you can win that conference championship tournament. Now, what's great, though, is that they have a shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it didn't really look like that the last couple of seasons. Hopefully they can this year. All right, and then uh, going back to our movie character discussion, Gashouse Earl says he hated the cousin in Players Club, uh, Monica Calhoun, and then... My hate grew even more when she played the goody two-shoes, fiance, <laughs> wife, and the best man. He said, my wife gets angry at me every time we watch the movie because she dies and I laugh my keister off. Oh, uh, oh no. Laughing. That's uh, sinister stuff. Wow. Man. Do you ever cheer in movies though when stuff happens to characters you don't like? Like you, you have you like talk to the TV or talk to the screen or something like that? You know, you this get might, up on that. That's what you get. That It might just, maybe I'm not as fun. <laughs> Maybe that's just not me, but I I don't get that invested to the point where I'm pounding my chest. Yeah, die. I'm not like that. <laughs> I don't get that what excited. What about you, Strappy? Do you get that animated when watching anything? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Oh, and, I, and I've recently started watching The Sopranos. Yeah, I, did uh, I just yeah. started that. And let me tell you what. The, the mother mm-hmm. gets me fuming. I hate really? her. I I'm hate six, her. She is six horrible. episodes in. Right now to the Sopranos. Yeah, I, it only gets worse. I'm on season two, like start of season two, but. She, ah. Okay. So you get mad. If, so if anything bad happens to her, then oh. you are yelling at the TV. Yes. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll raise a glass. I'll have a party. It'll be great. I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can get that into yeah, anything. Uh, like I, that. I think the only time I was outwardly verbal uh, was probably. <laughs> outwardly verbal. Yeah. <laughs> at a movie theater, uh, when a character, something happened to it is. Uh, obviously, Avengers Endgame. When I was in there, it sounded like I was at a football game, and and I every once I got in a while caught up in the excitement, and I was tapping my friend. I said, "Man, let's go get Thanos, man. Let's get him." Especially <laughs> when Fiddy's in here, we're gonna bring that movie up like probably once. It's not crazy amount, but mm-hmm. anytime we talk about great movies mm-hmm. or movie examples, I did this for movie X, whatever it is. Endgame comes up once yeah. a month. You and Fiddy. You guys are like this. Classic. You guys are tied together on that one. All right, so uh, that's drama when that happens to characters. And so uh, we talked about drama with the Carolina Panthers, but it's interesting now that they have a GM installed in Dan Morgan, who we believe will be taking over the majority uh, of the player personnel stuff. And then they uh, probably will bring in someone to be a capologist, so to speak. But uh, I think with a new GM in place now, we can take a quick look back at the draft class and kind of put some letter grades on some of these guys for a draft class that's just not overwhelming when you talk about what guys did, but the potential uh, of these players is also on the table. So let's just go down a list and give our uh, picks, the Panthers picks, that is, 
a grade and just it can be a mix of both as far as potential and what they did this season but we'll start from the bottom and work our way up and crescendo with Bryce Young but we'll start with Jamie Robinson out of uh, Florida State and what type of grade would we put on his rookie season okay so I I gave him a D grade yeah didn't play very much. So were your expectations for him, especially with the Von Bell and Xavier, um, well, uh, Lord, I was about to call him Xavier Rhodes. Uh, what's his Xavier name? Woods. Yeah, Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. No, so so, so here's, yeah, I'll explain the, the ranking behind all of them, okay. right? So with, ja- with Jamie Robinson, he didn't play very much. Mm-hmm. He played 64 total defensive snaps. He played 25 against Indiana, Indianapolis in week nine. That was the most that he played, and he had a pretty decent grade. There wasn't any crazy, terrible game that he had out there. There was a coverage game where he was uh, graded pretty uh, rough against Chicago. That came in Week 10. But ultimately, this is a fifth-round pick. And even if people liked Jamie Robinson going in the fifth round, hey, maybe this guy can bring us something, and he didn't. It's just... You you should already limit your expectations anyway, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know other teams will have success with picks that get later and later, but it is hard, especially when you go to the fifth round. And so maybe even maybe even a D-plus, but I don't think he was involved as much. So I gave him a D-grade for this year, what he did in 64 snaps, not playing very much. It, you have a strong duo at safety already in front of him. And even some of the other depth pieces, well, it's like we kind of like Sam Franklin. So Sam Franklin's going to get in the mix. It, it was always hard for him. So th- that's the, the grade I gave him. He didn't fail by any means. He just didn't play as much. No, I, I would agree with you. I mean, he was a special teams guy. Uh, I think he had around 17 tackles this season. Right. So uh, I kind of, you know, that C-D territory because, you know, you're expecting him to more than likely be a special teamer because you felt like unless there were some key injuries like that, that he was going to be sitting behind Xavier Woods and Von Bell. Um, but as far as his potential, you know, I think that he could be a guy that could contribute more next year with more knowledge under his belt. The thing is, man, I just get tired of getting lied to about these draft picks because Lord knows during this past offseason, they told us all these guys uh, damn near could play. I mean, with Jamie Robinson. Well, you like, were oh, a big fan, right? Yeah, like, you like, like Jamie. Picking up the playbook and he's, he's doing this and practicing, oh, doing that. And then you get like to that. the season and you're like, okay, well, where is he? So, well, we're, we're, so you mentioned that. There's one in particular. Okay. And we'll wait. But there's one in particular <laughs> yeah. that we were very much like. All right, to. Chandler Zavala, I'm straight up going F. Uh, one of the worst rookie offensive linemen I would probably dare to bet the Panthers I've ever drafted. Uh, that's not to say that he can't improve at all, but just from what we saw from this uh, from this season, he had some of the lowest grades that I'd seen uh, from PFF. And when you watched him play, man, just physically dominated. He looked like he just didn't. He just looked like he was on another planet a lot of times when he was out there playing. Just bad technique, uh, getting overpowered on a regular basis, getting finessed on a regular basis. I mean, he finished the season with a 26.2 overall grade, a 7.1 pass blocking grade. And I saw a write-up. I mean, that's that's crazy. Oh, he could improve and come back next year and be a better player. Yeah, in theory. But I think when you come into the league and you're that bad, and I know what John McCain said, never give up on a player after his first season. But – I just don't have a lot of faith in, in Chandler Zavala uh, moving forward based off what I saw. I gave him an F-. minus. You stink. <laughs> What's that, like a 20? 
Because you could get an F that's like a 50. It, it matches. If it's a 20, it matches his offensive grade. Now, mm. here's what we need to address with Zavala. He suffered a terrible injury earlier in the year. He did come back, and he actually played against Dallas and then played only 13 snaps against t- Tennessee, got hurt again. So injuries were a part of his story in his first year playing for Carolina. When he was healthy and he was playing and he was starting right away, this is somebody that actually had some expectations coming in. They did because of the injuries. Well, one, you yes, the opportunity was there because of the injuries, right? But also because we thought he and Icky were going to be able to play well alongside one another because they have done so already at NC State. And typically, guard is a position where you can see in the fourth round or so those guys immediately step in and help out. But it didn't happen this year. And you're right, Wes. I do think it was the worst rookie offensive lineman season that I've ever seen before. I do think that. And you're right. The grades, I'll, I'll read them out week to week for you. His pass blocking grade. Not his total grade, but I'll read out his pass blocking grades every single week. 40.4 against Atlanta. 13.5. Zero against Seattle. 23.3. 81.7 against Detroit. But that was in 14 snaps. 10.7, <laughs> It's terrible. And this wasn't even a, oh, you got to be a nerd. You got to be Bobby Slowick to see <laughs> that he's struggling here. You could just watch him get beat constantly. Yeah. And that's why I actually think there's a legit excuse for Icky to some degree when you're playing alongside that guy. He gives up a pressure every four snaps. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do if you're Icky Iquanu? He's got his own problems that does not absolve him of all the responsibility. Got a lot of issues, right? What I'm telling you, what is also true, is that having Chandler Zavala alongside you does not help. And in fact, it hurts you quite a bit. I gave him an F-. minus. I hate that it happened that way. I had high expectations. But man, did he not get there even close to what we thought he could do. All right. uh, Next on the board, DJ Johnson selected in the third round, pick number 80. This was quite the controversial pick. There were many players left on the board that could have been chosen. They took a guy that is an older prospect. Uh, I believe he'll be 26 when this season starts. I think so, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, yes. I think he was 25 years old when he was selected. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's 25. I think he'll he'll be 26 in the middle of the season. Yeah, I'm going F. Uh, You didn't give me a sack this year. Uh, You were, if anything, you know, you would, would have thought that he could come in and at least contribute a little bit as a pass rusher, but... Uh, we saw, you know, when you look at the tape on him coming out of Oregon, he looked to be pretty limited there. Uh, but I just think as far as the potential, I think this was a guy that, like I said, he was an old rookie. And, you know, you want to see he's coming into the age that – because I think they said he's the same age as Brian Burns. And so he's coming into an age where he should be hitting, yeah. um, you know, his prime had he been in the league as a normal rookie at about 22, 23. And so, you know, with that, I I think the Panthers missed on this pick as well. I'm not sure he's going to be a guy that can be nothing more than uh, a body come in and spell some guys every now and again. But I don't see him being a key contributor for this franchise going forward. This is the one we were lied to about because they traded up for him. And Scott Fitterer joined the Kyle Bailey show after he selected DJ Johnson and a couple of these guys. And he said that we expect DJ to play right away. That yeah, he might be a little bit of a project, but that even if he is real, even if he's raw, he's athletic enough to where he can set the edge. 
he might not contribute in a way of pass rushing that you might typically think an edge rusher can do being drafted in the third round right away. That will come along later, but he could set the edge this year. And that didn't really happen either. And he played a decent amount of snaps. It wasn't happening at the beginning, but he did play 134 total run defensive snaps, 83 pass rushing snaps, 231 overall. So he got on the field enough to give you some kind of contribution, and it didn't really happen. Would I like a couple of schools of thoughts here on the text line? Zach in Miami said, everyone deserves an F-. minus." Mm-hmm. Herman Photography said, F- minus is crazy. I'd rather just have the F. <laughs> <laughs> but DJ Johnson, I didn't go F-. minus. It wasn't as bad as Savala. But there just wasn't any pass rush. It was just a whole lot of nothing from him every single time. You might see a couple of tackles here and there. It's not like he didn't give us any play whatsoever, but man, there wasn't many. And you traded up. You told us that he was going to do one thing. There's opportunity also. Like Justin Houston was an edge rusher for this team. He got cut. He went on the team anymore. YGM, not great. There was that door that was open for you to take his job too and never really ran with it. So yeah, it was an F and that's an underwhelming pick a lot of people are frustrated by. All right, going to the second round, pick number 39 overall, Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss. And uh, 43 receptions, 418 yards, did not get a touchdown in his rookie season, even though he was a guy that the Panthers tried to get involved as much as they could. And so with that said, I'm going to give him a D plus. I give you a little bit of credit for the 43 catches. That's not a bad rookie year uh, output. 9.7 yards per catch. Did have a 40-yard catch this season, but no touchdowns. You didn't get on the board as a rookie. Uh, and then, like I said, he was quite underwhelming. Uh, I never saw one moment this season where I was like, wow, if they, if they can get him more involved, this offense could do X, Y, Z. I never had that moment with him. Uh, we'll see a moment with him. I think that, you know, we'll see as time passes, but he doesn't have uh, that it factor to me where this is a guy that that's electric with the football. Uh, we didn't really see any of the 50-50 ball stuff that we saw from him coming out of Ole Miss. Yeah, we did it. selected. Uh, and so, yeah, and as far as his future prospects, I know receivers sometimes can take a little bit of time to develop. I'm not going to get caught up in the Jamar Chases and the Justin Jeffersons coming in just killing it from day one. But, uh, yeah, with Mingo, man, I'm not sure that I see him being a a big-time receiver in his future either. But this is the problem, though. You, you mentioned it might take some guys a little while to cook. and that, that might happen for lots of football players, regardless of what position you play. Problem is wide receiver, those guys are starting to contribute immediately. Yeah. And the fact that Mingo doesn't mean that everyone's going to, but the fact that Mingo gave you 40 receptions and didn't show you some of the skill set that he gave you in college, it is a little concerning. I will say, if he did have the football in his hands, there were flashes there. The 50-50 stuff where he's making the one hit, like he had some crazy catches in college. There was the one downfield where he just bodies some dude one hand 50 right. yards downfield and then continues to run with it or, or even falls down yeah, maybe on that specific. Any of that. We didn't see any of that. <laughs> and they tried to get him the football in some spaces. But think about how much Mingo is affected on all of this too, right? Like, okay, so here's what all has to go right for Mingo to contribute. The offensive line has to pass protect. They didn't do it. They did so at the worst rate this entire year. Worst offensive line in the league. Now, let's just say Bryce Young is protected well enough. Now, you have to throw to Mingo, and Bryce Young might have pressure in his face. Or, 
you have to throw it, what, downfield? He was considered to be the guy that was an intermediate to deep threat, but they didn't have enough time. Even if you protect enough for you to throw a pass at all, there's probably not enough time for you to throw downfield, and you have to rely on Frank Reich, Thomas Brown, whoever the hell the offensive coordinator is, to draw something up enough to where there's a good offensive game plan and scheme. So if all of that goes right, now you have to have an accurate pass, and you have to do what you can with that. So Mingo is affected by a lot of what's going on here. It doesn't mean that he was great. I gave him a D grade, something worse than you did, actually. You said D plus. Yeah. But I, I do think that there is something to, okay, if everything else is fixed, like I do think Mingo might benefit as much as anybody outside of Bryce Young if everything else is fixed around, right? Like everybody has to be improved to help Bryce Young. Think about what Bryce Young's improvement would do. That would help Jonathan Mingo. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Saved by the bill. Do we want to do Bryce Young yeah, when yeah, we come yeah, back yeah. from break? Or uh, do you want to try to squeeze it in now? I, I would. We got Whatever. Time. Row. Whatever. Let's, let's do it now. Let's All do right. it now. Let's All right. So it. Bryce Young, first pick, first overall. Finished the season 2,877 passing yards, 11 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Man, this is tough because I want to grade Bryce on a little bit of a curve with everything around him. We heard John McCain talk about all the voices in his head this season. Uh, you know, not the weapons were not up to snuff. The offensive line took a tremendous step back. And so for that reason, I'm going to give Bryce Young a C-. minus. Okay, I'm going to go C-. minus. He was borderline on that D. I'm talking about... Uh, you yeah, there's know. no way to avoid some of the phrases here when we grade. Right, right. Slow. <laughs> like usually report cards do a yeah. lot better when you have a lot of the higher grades. Yeah. But now that we're down here in D, F territory, yeah. this is the kind of phrasing yeah. you get. I thought the Green Bay game when we got to see everything come together and work for him. We got to see that 300-yard game we have been longing for. We got to see him play with some confidence and some command. But I just think everything around him, the voices, the coaches, staff, the changing of the offensive coordinators, you put all that into a pot, I'm going to give the young man a C- minus just for enduring and getting out of this thing alive, not to mention the toughness he showed getting up after being on his keister uh, many times per game. Yeah, I want people to recognize this when they call me the Homer bagel guy. I'm looking at you when you call me the Homer for saying, <laughs> hey, C.J. Stroud was awesome, and also his skill players were a little bit better too. And I'm the Homer for saying C.J. Stroud was, you know, not the only thing working down there. I do want to tell you that I gave Bryce a D grade. Okay. I'm trying to save this by saying right grade there. at the everyone. That's fine. But yeah, so Green Bay, that's a hell of a moment. Even if you didn't win, hell of a moment for them to even be back in that ball game. You got a moment in the last drive against Houston where you had that win and you win 15-13. You don't put a lot of points on the board. But this was a terrible situation around him. And I thought it was going to be good. And boy, was I wrong on all accounts. Thought skill position was going to be better? Nope. Way wrong. I'm right in there with you. Offensive line? I mean, even if you thought they were going to be a problem in the preseason, there's no way you thought they were going to be this bad, right? Like, they were terrible. They were so bad. So, I do think that Bryce Young, there are some excuses. I think it also got into his head to the point where he was a problem. Not at the beginning. I don't think he was as much of a problem. In the middle, like that Chicago game, right, or Indianapolis, right after Houston, and then you throw a couple of pick sixes, that's when I think you started to see the confidence not be there as much. And he would bounce back every once in a while, but he didn't even end on a strong note against Tampa Bay. 94 passing yards is how you end the season. He finishes with a D on his report card as far as I'm concerned. All right, folks. Well, there are your grades for the Carolina Panthers and that draft class. And when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, we're going to talk 
Terry Rozier, what's next for Charlotte on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's a good beat when Shroppy gives me a stank face. It's different. You have to learn what your producer's love language is when it comes to music. Fitties is twerking and doing something crazy. Yeah, of course. Very on brand. It is so on brand. Yeah. I don't know about Flounder's love language when it comes to music. I don't know what he... I think he just probably chills. I don't think he's really doing anything crazy yeah. like that. But Shroppy, who appreciates this type of stuff, he would just give me a stank face and nod in his head, that long hair of his bouncing up and down. <laughs> That's how I know he really likes a beat. And big, I'll, Go ahead. Big stank face guy. Big stank. Me, I am too. I'm with you on that. Yeah. it's uh, Music and food are two things that you cannot hide your reaction to, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> like, you, you got a real poker face if you can hide your reaction to music and food did we give a stank face when terry rogier was traded to miami or not uh, i gave a, <laughs> a sad face. i gave a little bit of a surprised face yeah. i'd say well all right and let's dive into it here it's wesson walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz tell us how much you like the terry rogier trade were you in favor of it do you understand it do you think it's necessary or are you just flat out saying Mitch Kupchak couldn't be gone any faster? I hate this trade. Why did you tell me that you traded Terry Rozier? So you can tell us that. I'm telling you that I did think it was necessary. He goes to Miami. Did you see the video of him walking off the plane by any chance? I've not seen that yet. Terry is excited. You can tell. And he I wouldn't be. Oh, of course. That's exactly me and Colin were talking about this. <laughs> of course he's excited. And it's all love with Charlotte, too. He gave you a nice send-off post, and I, I think that's genuine. He came – weird career for Terry. You experienced so much success, a part of the Boston Celtics, learning from stars up there, playing alongside stars. And so you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, something this Hornets team has never done in two iterations of the franchise. You get there immediately, right? You come here to Charlotte, the most team success you experience is a play-in spot, and you get blown out by 30 each time. But he was still a good player, and he did everything he possibly could offensively, for sure, to help this team win, and now you're going to Miami, where stakes, they're high like De La Soul told you once again. Mm. So now, it's Jimmy Butler. Now it's Eric Spolster. Now it's Bam Adebayo. And Terry just might be coming off of the bench. Wes, I was listening to the Low Post podcast with Zach Lowe discussing how it seems like Terry Rozier knows what his role is here, too, in Miami. He's not one of these guys that plays for a worse team, becomes the dude, and thinks that reputation will travel with him on that plane, and it's the same here in Miami. Terry is very self-aware. I know what it is. I'm here to help the team. It's a very different situation for a squad that gets to the NBA Finals when nobody thinks they're going to. 
And I think that's what allows him to be so much a part of Heat culture. But, man, he was excited, and I'm excited for him, man. I'm really excited to see what he can do once they do get to the postseason. I am, too, but don't bring him down there, man, and just have it, have him watered down. I don't want to see watered down Terry, man. I want to see Terry out there making plays. And, and he has the right type of temperament and personality to play with those guys. I can't wait to see it. I know Hornets fans are going to get mad when they see Terry locking people up on defense because <laughs> he knows Pat Riley and them culture. aren't playing any games. If you don't play defense, you're not going to be on the Throw floor. Uh, that's the thing I can't wait to see. But, man, he's playing so efficient. He's playing so well. But I know he's going to have his nights when he explodes. Jimmy Butler is a guy that doesn't stay the healthiest. So I think Terry will get his share of starts before the season is over with. And I think they're going to create some lineups where they can get Terry on the floor because another thing that I think added to his value was the playmaking ability. He's averaging a career high in assists. He's over six assists per contest. So I think that he's a guy they can put out there on the floor amongst all of their guys and the Tyler Heroes and all of them, and he can service those guys and be that point guard role if they need him to be. But then when they need him to get a bucket, listen, Terry is one of the the better one-on-one players in the NBA. So Miami, I, I really think they did themselves a service I with this too. deal, getting Terry Rozier, because Rozier's a guy that, as I said, he can get it off the bounce. We know what the corner three looks like for him. Analytically, he can knock those down. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy as well. So Miami got themselves a weapon. That's why I didn't understand why the hell the Hornets did it. Well, and I do wonder, you, you wouldn't have done this deal? I wouldn't send them to a, a a direct competitor of mine. It depends on how fast I think I can be good. If I'm sitting up there in the front office of the Hornets and I think I got a chance in the next three, four years to be hitting on something which granted Terry be a little older by then, but still, I'm like, I want to send them to a team that I got to play four times a year. I'm going to send him to the Western Conference. Oh, I, I don't think that matters. If it's, if it's the better package, though, you got to do what's best for you, right? It's a little different with the divisions in the NFL because there are 17 sure. games. And you do play those, so how, how? what's the percentage of division games that you have? Like, it, it's not as big. I understand what you're saying, though. Mm-hmm. And, and you're so right about this. Here's how you're going to win this argument against me. It's the fact that I'm going to watch Terry have success in the postseason. I'm going to see him suit up in a Miami Heat uniform at the Spectrum Center. And then I'm going to say... Damn, Wes was right. I hate it. Why didn't they trade him to the Lakers? <laughs> I'll take a couple second rounds. When he comes through here to Charlotte and goes for 35 <laughs> every time and just burying the Hornets, you guys are going to end playing defense, locking up Melo, <laughs> no, no, stealing no. the ball. Y'all going to be like, no. what was this? Don't you put that on us. Hey, you're going to be, what was this at? Um, here's Mitch Kupchak, by the way, also telling Terry Rozier, thank you for everything that he did here in Charlotte. I have to thank Terry. You know, he, he came to Charlotte four and a half years ago, and we spoke this morning. Um, but he made a great impact on this organization, you know, on the court and off the court. Uh, this morning, in my call with him, he, he thanked us for bringing him to Charlotte. And, you know, he, he indicated that he grew up you know, on the court and off the court, he feels he became more professional and a better uh, person. I think we all know how involved he was in the community. And of course, you know, on the court in particular this year, you know, he had he's had his best year ever. So 
I already eulogized Terry Rozier's time here in Charlotte. I'm not going to do it again. People were asking if I was crying. I might do it again <laughs> if I have to do that off the heels of what Mitch Kupchak had to say. I'm not crying, you're crying. Uh, I, that's exactly what I would be <laughs> saying to everybody else. But yeah, it, it's all true. Everything's true. That's why Heat fan is writing it on the text line. I can't wait for Terry to become a defensive stalwart. Yeah, I'm a Heat fan. I bet he is excited about this. <laughs> I bet he is too. Um, real quick question before we move on, and we go to Shrop It Like It's Hot. Not the live wire, but shropping it like it's hot. I did want to ask you what you think is next. What's coming up next here for the Charlotte Hornets? Because everybody has the feeling that they're going to continue to make moves before the trade deadline. Very counter to what Mitch Kupchak had done at previous deadlines. I expect them to continue to be active here, Wes. Next most tradable player or thing that you think the Hornets are going to do? Um, I think Gordon Hayward's probably going to be next on the agenda to figure out what they're going to do with that. Uh, I know he's a guy that there are some contenders out there that probably feel like that he could help them. So I think that he's going to be the next guy on the list uh, for the Hornets to see what they can do, what they can get from him. You think Gordon Hayward? What about you, Shroppy? Who do you think is going? I think it's your boy, PJ. Could be. I think, yeah, uh, I think he's going to be gone too. I think a good contending team would look at him and think he's an interesting piece off the bench. I don't think he's... Or to be a He's fourth. definitely not starting for any contender, but... Or to be a fourth option. Yeah, or maybe even fifth. Like, And, and you know, yeah. clearly, right, the joke, it's hard to have a serious conversation about P.J. because usually it's Fiddy in that chair, <laughs> and then it's like, you know, oh, yeah, he's terrible, whatever. Like, a real conversation would be I even not even a fourth option. Like, you, you trade for P.J., because you know that you can plug him in, and he's going to be able to do a lot of things defensively for you while not being defensive player of the year but defensively for you coming in either off of the bench or even in your closing lineups. Like Mm -hmm. he just gives you a lot of versatility and how you can defend PJ for all of his faults offensively, especially this year, as much as I love him, he's not stepped up again. So many injuries. This is somebody that needs a foundation. Like there's just been so much adapting and he's learned, but there's a cap on how much he can do offensively. And so I think that's really affected him this year, but Dude hit shots in the fourth quarter, and we've seen that the last couple of seasons. That, Better or worse, whatever he does the first three, he's going to be able to knock down shots as long as he's set up and even sometimes can bring you off of the dribble. I think teams are going to like that contract that eventually the Hornets settled on, and it's certainly real tradable at $12 million a year. And how much were you, the Hornets are going to want to get a first-round pick for him. It'll be protected, not going to be unprotected a year later like it was for Terry. And he's a very real trade candidate, especially with the weird negotiations that we had this offseason. I like that answer. Both answers are real good because both of those guys are in the conversation um, opposite of who your foundation is. Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, Mark Williams, maybe Nick Smith Jr., everybody else on the table. Well, I, I do think the move that probably happens even before that is moving Lowry. Uh, yeah, for sure too. I think that's I think that's probably priority one is finding somewhere to ship him off. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of those that are just understood that that's yep. going to be a move that's going to be made. Yeah, and, and so we'll see. Can you get a couple of second rounders? Mitch Kupchak's last haul of second rounders before he ends his tenure as the general manager of the Hornets. We'll talk more about that with Jake Fisher, who has been right on the money with this Terry to the Heat conversation. Then everybody else is picking up afterwards too. So he'll tell us maybe some of the other directions. The Hornets might take. He'll be joining us at 2.30. Shrop it like it's hot. That's coming up next in place of the live wire. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.